Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com. Also streaming live at Israel National Radio, Israel National News, backslash radio. That would be Arutz Sheva coming to you from the Holy Land. And thank you for joining us for another Thursday morning of political talk. This week, rather than once again go through the same talk about debate, and obviously it's not stale, everybody loves it out there talking about politics, I want to talk about some issues. We're going to close the year out by talking about issues out there, some big issues, policy issues, but those that pertain specifically to our community. And I'm very pleased to be joined, uh, to be sitting in the presence of Richard Altavi, the headmaster of Yeshivat Sharei Torah in Brooklyn, a longtime activist, a well-known principal uh, in secular studies in yeshivas, and one who's really looked at this issue and has been developing a curriculum that is taking secular education or outside secular education and curriculum and putting that into yeshivas different types of yeshivas so that they can improve their secular studies. Uh, Richard Altaby, welcome to Spin Class. Good morning, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to the discussion. And actually, this is not our first time here. I think the last time we talked politics in the past, uh, particularly when we talked Hurricane Sandy and the politics around Hurricane Sandy, uh, but, you know, this is uh, an issue that's been very close to your heart for a long time, specifically through regards to secular studies. Tell us a little bit about your background and where you come, where you approach the subject from. And, and I, I should say, this is a topic du jour in many cases because the public should know that there is a big lawsuit uh, pending, or a potential lawsuit. Actually, I'm sorry, there is a lawsuit, a class action lawsuit, in two locales, uh, one in Brooklyn and one in Rockland County, which is suing certain yeshivas for not providing secular studies to their students, uh, particularly in the Hasidic yeshivas in New York. So this is a, it's a big issue in Hasidic yeshivas outside of Hasidic yeshivas. It's an issue as far as uh, right-wing yeshivas, but even not right-wing yeshivas uh, have struggled with secular edu education and secular studies as well. So with that, tell us about your background. Okay, we'll start back in 1988 when I was hired to be the General Studies Principal at Yeshiva Dachet Torah here in Farakway, and uh, I had to encounter the problem of building a top-notch secular program uh, given the limitations uh, that were there before me. The main limitation being that for older grade uh, education, 6th through 8th grade, and at that time there was no high school, uh, the rule was that uh, for religious purposes we were not allowed to have female teachers, which cut the pool of potential teachers in half, which meant that there was already from day one a shortage in qualified personnel that we could bring into the school. And I grappled with that issue early on, and I developed certain ideas around how to best approach that, and uh, in about 2000, 2001, I uh, wrote an article for the Jewish Observer, which tackled the entire issue and put forth some ideas, which have now become very popular, um, in terms of how to best deal with the issue. Well, let's just start with the premise that in certain yeshivas, I'd say the more modern Orthodox yeshivas, secular studies are on par with religious studies, or with Libre Kodesh. But as you move more to the right, and I hate that continuum, but it is in fact a continuum, the privacy of sec or the importance of secular studies diminishes and then it kind of almost falls off as you go more and more to the right. So talk a little bit about that. that let's start from a second about the values and the valuing secular I'm gonna, studies. I'm going to disagree with the way you laid out that premise, if that's great, okay. Great, great. Because what I, what I think it really is, is that... Uh, 
the, the religious schools, to, we'll call them right-wing just to use a word, the religious schools put a primacy, primacy on religion. And I think all schools, all yeshivas and day schools put primacy on religion to the best extent they can, given the population that they're serving. In the more right-wing communities, obviously where there is a, a strong tradition of Torah learning and there's a strong desire amongst the families to replicate generations of people who are uh, competent to become independent Torah learners, then the, the primacy of religious studies has to be there. And in order to get that across to the children in the next generation, I think you have to put a, a, a major percentage of your time into that learning. Uh, particularly with doing the uh, Judaic studies in the morning, which is traditional amongst those type of schools, and the learning should be at least 50 to 60. Okay, for us, Torah is a way of life, it's not a subject. So unlike other subjects like math and science that could be taught within a prescribed amount of time with a prescribed curriculum, the way that we're going to be able to produce generations of, of Orthodox Jews is to immerse them in Torah learning. And the proof is in the pudding if we look at the... Uh, amount of staying power we see in Orthodox community as opposed to other brands of uh, Judaism and the other religions in the world. Orthodox Judaism is one of the few religions in the world that is growing only because we're taking our children, immersing them in, the, in that way of life and, and making the learning primary. So to take that away would be definitely a mistake. And I think we've seen in places where uh, Torah learning was relegated to the afternoon and secular studies was in the morning and the old time uh, uh, you know, after-school uh, programs that they used to have where the kids would go to public school in the morning and, and learn Torah in the afternoon. That was a complete and utter failure because the, it was never communicated to the children that Torah was a way of life. So I think before we even get into the issue of secular studies, we have to understand that the fix for secular studies has to be in the context of maintaining religious learning. Well, there's no question that we about the prioritization, I think, in the context of what we're talking about. So, okay, so we have this prioritization. Now we also have to balance the prioritization with the strictures of the government, and I'd like you to address that, um, but also the idea of giving, let's just say you're not a Torah Ramada person, you don't believe in secular studies for its own sake, but once again, we do have to prepare young people for the world. We have to prepare them to be able to do addition and subtraction. Uh, a Jewish activist on this issue recently gave an interview, and I was shocked by the idea that he said, and it could have been tongue-in-cheek, but I was shocked by the fact that he said that he cannot add a tick. He cannot, he went to Hasidic Yeshivas, and this is a well-spoken gentleman, he cannot add a tick at a restaurant. So he overtips. He talked about the fact that he's the best tipper, and it's a nice little story. It's a nice little vignette. But if you cannot add a tip, then the skills are so poor that you are not prepared for to support your family. Okay, we have to understand this in the context of the fear that's out there in the Orthodox world about something called secularism. And we have to make sure that when we define the issue, that we make sure there's a difference between promoting secular studies and promoting, and promoting secularism. That's a great distinction. Okay, so it's the secularism that the right-wing Hasidic Haredi world is, is, is nervous about, and, be, and rightfully so, because secularism is a movement that pulled many people away for the last hundred years, away from Torah Judaism. But secular studies and the ability to go out into the world and be able to do math and to understand health issues and to live in the economy and to be able to write a you know, coherent English sentence is not a problem. I heard it said once very, very well. The, the dichotomy that has to exist is the dichotomy between emes and sheker. 
if, if something is MS, then it's part of the Torah. We believe that the Torah came from God, and God gave the Torah in a way that included everything. So therefore, anything that is MS is somewhere encapsulated in the Torah. And if we analyze Torah sources deeply enough, you could find math, science, history, uh, economic values, law, everything is in the Torah if you look for it. On the other hand, secularism is a philosophy that, like Greek philosophy, like Hellenist philosophy in the in past ages, which is diametrically opposed to uh, our religion, and that's because secularism is founded upon ideologies that are, in the Torah view, Shekhar. Okay, but let's, let's focus, and let's say that we can effectively counter the secularism part, and of course, the whole outside world is about secularism, uh, you know, as a, and, and other isms, if you will, but let's say we can effectively counter that. What type of education or educational skills, so when you talk about skills or just allowing somebody to go ahead and allowing the student to be able to get to that next level, should they want to be to that, that, that next level, giving them, preparing them for that next level, whether it's college or whether it is a job, uh, giving those students enough skills in order to get ahead in the secular world. Not promote secularism, but get ahead in the secular world. Um, if that's the purpose of education, I think you probably don't feel that that is the sole purpose of education. I'm sure that there are other, that there are other, uh, uh, other values with regard to education uh, that, you know, that are necessary. But let's just talk about that. Are we even doing, in many cases, the minimum amount to get, uh, to get students to that next level? It depends on the school and it depends on the community. There are wonderful orthodox right-wing schools that may have limited hours of secular studies but are doing an unbelievable job. And there are even schools of that type in the, in the Hasidic communities that are doing great things. You have Hasidic schools, not many, but you have some Hasidic schools that are offering a full regents program and students are graduating with regents diplomas. No different than any public school student. So it's obviously possible. The question is, is there a will to do it? Are there staff members to get it done? And are, or, or are the communities still too afraid to be able to do what's necessary? And with that, I say, if the communities are afraid, then it's time for us to develop curricula that breaks down the secular studies into, uh, into material that's ideologically fitting what Torah values are without any distinctions, without any compromise, and at the same time, fitting the common core standards that we have here in New York State without any compromise. And I believe it's possible to get that done. So we're talking with Richard Altaby here on SPIN class, uh, talking about the issue of secular studies and yeshivas. Why would you say, Richard, the, there is such a difference between the women's education, or at least purported difference, between women's schools education as far as secular studies and the boys' education? Now, I know it's, a, it's sometimes an issue of time, but it's not just time. I mean, let's, let's be honest here. It's not just the time allotted for secular studies. There is a clear difference in many cases between what young girls are receiving on the secular side and what young boys are getting on the secular side. There's no question, and that really uh, ties into the issue of staffing, number one, before we talk about anything else. Because even those schools... Very, very important. Even those schools like Adar Torah, where I served as principal for 18 years, that was very committed to hiring the best and brightest staff to teach their children, paying very high salaries to make sure that those teachers would be 
top of the line. I cannot tell you how difficult it was and how difficult it still is for us to find and maintain staff members. Um, whereas in the, in the girls' side, it's a lot easier because, at, number one, teaching has always been, in, in the past, predominantly a female profession. And because the women can work in their own schools, and there are many professional, young, religious women who can teach in those schools, uh, it's far easier to find staffing for a girls' school than it is for a boys' school. And even in a boys' school, it's far easier to get good teachers for the younger grades, where women primarily are teaching grades one to five in most of the boys' schools, versus getting a quality history, math, science, or a language arts teacher in a sixth, seventh, eighth grade, or a high school classroom at a boys' school. Very difficult. Okay, well, let's assume, so we have the difficulty there. But how do you surmount it? You're, now, we're, now you're just, we're kind of giving up in a way. That you're, oh, no, no, I'm not giving up well, at all. Well, you're not giving up, but the system, in effect, is giving well, up. I think I, there, there are two ways to remedy this. I, I believe that that's true, and without going into details, I've heard it told to me that there were schools that 20, 25 years ago offered much greater secular studies, but when the, the quality of the teachers kept declining and the, therefore the behavior in the classroom was declining, it just wasn't worth the time and effort to teach secular studies when at the end you, you had a child learning Torah all morning and becoming religious and, and imbuing his life with God and Torah and in the afternoon uh, without the proper teaching, without the proper supervision, these kids were running wild in the classroom. It just wasn't worth it for some of these schools. But I have a solution and this is the solution that I've talked about for 15 years. Uh, I put forward an article in Jewish Observer 15 years ago that if we uh, have a diminishing pool of public school teachers available now because the public school day has been extended, so they're not really available for us in the afternoon. If the pool of retirees is decreasing, okay, because the retirees are getting older and uh, the younger teachers are, are not retiring and coming into our system, and where the public schools are paying more money, so therefore there's less of an incentive for a public school teacher to come to teach in the afternoon in the yeshiva, we have to find a pool of people with skills who can go in and teach that need to be trained, of course, but they have to be trained and, and they can teach. And who is that group? I, I say that the group of people who are ready and available to do this are the group of people sitting and learning in Kolo. Kolo, Younger Light, who could put the money on the table, earn an income, use their training, get trained, teach in the afternoon, still learn in the morning, learn at night, and be able to teach secular studies in the afternoon. And, and we have literally thousands of young men out there who are learning full-time in Kololim. Many of them are, have economic need, and this is the biggest pool of job opportunity for this population, and they could work in a, in a place where they could continue to transmit Torah through the afternoon. How, and not to get too far into it, because it's a very creative solution, not to get too far into the weeds on this, how does, if, if the system is not creating polyugolite who are well-versed and well-conversed in various disciplines, biology, chemistry, math, I mean, it's, these are not things that you go ahead and pick up in your 20s and 30s. Uh, maybe you can you know, teach literature or you can, but even those subjects take a certain amount of background. If the system hasn't served them well in order, their secular education, how do you then bring them to serve a different generation and make them into teachers? I mean, what, at what point do you start? Do you just pluck somebody and say, okay, you're 25, you're learning, let's see, instead of going uh, to community college, instead of becoming a rough, okay, what well, now we make you into a secular teacher? Well, obviously you have to pick those cold young men who have a background in secular studies, who came from those more progressive right-wing schools who 
or maybe who were more modern in background and who uh, you know, went to Israel and became much more Haredi over their time in learning in Israel, who have secular background to be able to do this. Uh, there are many, many such people. There's also a whole pool of Bali Tshuva who returned to Judaism, immersed themselves in Torah learning, but may have backgrounds from their youth and, and have gone to college and have master's degrees in the subject areas we need. These people are out there. We just have to find them and in certain cases, train them. So if a, if a young man, like I have a son who went, who went to Darche and he took advanced placement biology and he took advanced placement calculus, but he's clearly on a pathway to be full-time learning for as long as he possibly can. I say when he's old enough and he needs the Parnassah, why shouldn't he be able to go teach math or science in a school and just get the basic training he needs in how to run a classroom and how to set up a lab, the math and science background he had in school. There are enough of those people out there that we could at least make a dent in the problem. Maybe not a complete fix, but make a dent. And then if we did make a dent in the problem, then the next generation of people come up, there would even be more people available who could fill those jobs. And this is Spin Class, and we're talking to Richard Altavi, headmaster of Yeshivat Sha'arei Torah in Brooklyn, and longtime political activist, local activist, community activist, and Richard served for a brief time while there were school boards in New York City on a school board in the Rockaways, which was interesting for its makeup, student makeup, many he heavily minority in as far as the public schools and a large contingent of Orthodox Jews, uh, as well as Catholic schools also within your district. So you had public, you had private, you had minority, you had family schools, you had good schools at the same time. But, uh, Rich, I wonder if you could tell us from a governmental perspective, from sitting on a school board, how are the yeshivas viewed? Because obviously we always talk about how they're viewed favorably compared to public schools because better graduation rates and less mm -hmm. problems, fewer problems. But do they really know about, are they, are, is the government, is New York City Department of Education, the Board of Education, the school boards really looking at the quality and the level of secular studies in these yeshivas? Uh, okay, I was on the school board in the 1990s. That's and, ages ago. Which is a long time ago. Amazing. And, the, uh, and here in the Rockaways, the yeshivas in the Rockaways had a wonderful track record of teaching secular studies and had wonderful marks on the regents exams and such. And they were looked at very positively by the uh, uh, general population uh, for their quality education, for the commitment to uh, training the youth to become leaders and, and solid citizens. And I never felt in any way judged uh, the only judgment that, that, that I felt was that there was a, an opinion out there that a, a person who was uh, uh, sending their child to a non-public school did not have the right to serve on a school board and make decisions for public school students, which I, of course, thought was pretty ridiculous because that means you assume that I'm so naive and so narrowly focused in my own box that I wouldn't understand that a good public school in my neighborhood is going to make for a good community. That's, that's amazing. That was in 1990s? That was in 1990s, sure. So that kind of issue is coming up today, of uh, particularly with regard to what's going on in Rockland County, the Travelco School District. And our old friend, Des Walcott, who from a Queens guy has just released a report uh, that essentially wants to have some set-asides for public school parents and public school board members, that the only public school board members should be able to occupy certain seats on the board. Our public school parents should be able to occupy certain seats. Uh, seats of the board, and it's an issue we've had um, in my home district in Lawrence, where many of the public school parents or activists have challenged the ability of Orthodox Jews or private school parents to sit on the school board. So that that that's been an issue that's been around for a while. I imagine that didn't get any traction back in the nineties. 
It absolutely didn't because uh, there were two of us who were Orthodox on the board. I, I think we took some beautiful positions in terms of, of helping the general population in the public schools. We were, we were very big advocates for top quality schools. We were very big advocates for making sure that the people we put in place in administrative positions were the best people available. Uh, we were non-political, apolitical, unlike some of the other school board members who were there. Uh, we never went solidly one way or a different way. There, was, there were three factions on the board, and we were the uh, swing between the two opposing factions, which made us very important to the decision-making process. And we never were locked into any particular mindset. We listened to the facts. We thought about what would be best for the kids, and we made the decision that way. And we earned a lot of respect for ourselves in that process. And I believe that any of the people who are out there who were, were there at the time, like, uh, let's say, Senator James Sanders Jr., who was a school board member at the time, um, who said, I remember he told me about the Ramapo situation, he said to the people in Ramapo, I don't understand why you're having a problem. I sat with two Orthodox school board members in my district, and they were wonderful. Why should you be having a problem just because the person's Orthodox? Well, maybe you should be moving upstate. That's, that might be the right solution there. But what about, you've also been on the uh, non-public school advisory committee, mm -hmm. correct, for the New York City Department of Education. So let's just, as we kind of delve in a little bit to this controversy with regard to yeshivas in New York City and elsewhere not giving the basic sound, basic education, I think is the legalese with regard to it. Uh, how do the secular authorities, or how does the board, the education department view the education given in yeshivas? Generally, I think the reputation has been pretty good up until recently. Well, we have always taken a position in the advocacy side that we fully support any uh, move that the state has made to improve secular education. We fully support giving regents in schools. We, support, we fully supported the regents' action plan uh, 15 years ago. We fully support the Common Core curriculum now. Maybe the rollout was not the best, but we certainly are not against making improvements in the education. So from an advocacy perspective, we've always been on the side of the state, and hence the state never viewed us as being anti-education. Uh, Actually, it's the opposite. We're very pro-education. That being said, I think the state is very wary about the separation of church and state issues, as well they should, because every religious group has the right to make a decision for itself as to the type of education they want. That's what freedom of religion gives us. We don't, the government is not allowed to impose a set of uh, uh, religious restrictions on any given religion. And if the religious restrictions of, let's say, the Hasidic population requires more intense Jewish learning and less years, fewer years of secular studies, then that should be respected to the extent that in those few years of secular studies that they do give, that the kids are coming out with basic skills. And I think that that's doable. It might be doable, but is it in fact happening? I think that's the question. I mean, that's, they're certain, they're clearly, and not to take anybody's side here, but there are, seem to be graduates, uh, and, you know, whether they're good people, bad people, it's not a judgment. There seem to be graduates of Hasidic yeshivas that are feeling that they are not getting that sound basic education. Right, and those graduates of those Hasidic schools and the parents of those children in those Hasidic schools have every right to petition their leadership to improve the schools. The answer to the question of poor schooling is not in the state. The answer to the question of poor schooling is in the school leadership and in the communities themselves. So there has to be a way for those people in those communities to be able to speak out. I know that when I was principal in Dachai Torah, 
parents who felt that the uh, education was not good in a particular class or grade level or spoke out very strongly in support of the best education possible, as well they should, because they were advocating for their children. So I certainly support parents who advocate for their children. I do not support parents who advocate for their children by involving governmental entities, which really have no business being inside the relationship between a non-public school and its parent base. But let's just talk for a second. I mean, clearly, as a secular studies principal, and you've identified some of the challenges out there for, with regard to secular studies in yeshivas, and I know I'll leave the whole right-wing, left-wing thing out. It's just the easiest. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's just easy to create. Terminology, I got it. Exactly. No, no judgment. But, but let's just, if, you, if we understand the, the issues and the problems out there, I mean, what if, what is the government, and if there's no role for the government, I accept that, because I think I, I, I agree conceptually that the government should not be mixing in in religion, and these are, so many of these are religious questions at their core. But if we can't find teachers, and we don't have an appropriate curriculum, I think what you're saying, it's kind of for lack of trying on our part. It's not a question of our part, meaning the community's part. It's not a question of, okay, we can't find it, so therefore we need to have it imposed upon us. But perhaps imposition will lead to increased government aid. And so if the government then steps in to provide more funding or more support for secular studies, wouldn't that potentially be a good thing for some schools, maybe not in all cases? Well, let me say this. We're always in support of government aid for education in any way possible, and I don't see any school turning away a dollar if it's offered, especially if it's going to be offered as an incentive to improve the school system. And that, by the way, is an avenue that the governmental entities should travel down. They should say... We, we want to see an improvement. If you're having difficulty reaching the minimum standards because of your particular challenges within the context of your religious values and you need funding to be able to break through that, let us help you. That would be great. Let us provide you with some expertise from the outside. That would be great. Let's provide you with some curriculum writers and some additional uh, title money to help uh, do training, mass training of the teachers. Excellent. That's a way that the government could be extremely helpful in this case and could bring the solution that the parents want. So let's talk about East Round Post specifically for a second. And I, I, I know you're a man of, of the very, very uh, uh, weak opinions. That's, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. To be euphemistically. Uh, and we're almost out of time, believe it or not, on this, on this segment. We're talking to Richard Altaby, headmaster of Yeshivat Sharei Terrar. We're talking about secular studies in yeshivas. Uh, I know it's New York focused, but it's an issue that, that kind of reverberates within and without as far as preparing young men and young women for the world and prioritization of secular studies. But let's talk about East Ramapo. For those of you who don't know out there, we've covered this so many times on this show, but it's a particularly important issue because it involves the, the usurpation of, of uh, the rights of the Orthodox community to elect people and all kinds of different issues. But I, I know that you have some opinions about this and why we got here, how we got here, and how we get out of this situation. And particularly with the man that you know, meaning Dennis Walcott, being involved now and being somewhat now antagonistic towards the Orthodox community uh, in Israel. So maybe your thoughts. Well, first of all, I'm shocked that Dennis Walcott came out with this report because we worked very closely with Dennis in his time uh, as the uh, head of the New York City school system. He was amazing to work with. He was extremely understanding of our schools. He actually visited Dachetar, I think, at least twice. At least was, was very impressed with what we were doing. Said so. Uh, spoke about it. 
um, and was very open to being inclusive as possible and, and creating uh, stronger relationships between the, the uh, non-public schools and the public schools. So to me, it's shocking that he would come out with such a report. That being said, I, you know, I grew up believing no taxation without representation. And, and how can an outside entity make determinations for the school budgets of a particular school or town outside the, 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 uh, the governance of the uh, populace which duly elected its representatives? So something's wrong, something's very wrong in that mindset. And I don't know why we have to come to this monitor who has veto rights over the, uh, the board in order to get someplace. Why not have the advisor advise the board and how to be able to do it the right way? I'm sure things could be changed. I'm sure that there are mistakes that have been made. I don't know them, but I'm sure that, that mistakes were made. If the population, the general population feels so uh, you know, slighted by the, by the non-public school population, clearly not enough bridges were built between the two communities. So help them. But to just say, no, we're negating the elected officials, we're negating public school, but the board, we're negating the voters, uh, that's un-American to me. A lot of it, and I think one last question I wanted to get as, as we close off this uh, very interesting segment. What about civic education, un-American? I mean, why is it that kids who go to yeshivas don't know, they don't know the pledge, they don't know the Star Spangled Banner, they don't know, I mean, that's kind of, that's, that's almost what you get when you go to many public schools, but they don't know the very basics of American civic life. And this is a country that has been as great as any in the history of the world to the Jewish people. Uh, listen, in the schools that I've been principal of, the students get the civic education, and I believe in it very strongly, and our schools should definitely be teaching, be, be teaching that. Uh, the Rosh Hashiva of my school says, at every single graduation, we owe a degree of Hakarat Tov to this country for everything it's done to create the best environment possible for us to live our lives the way we want to live our lives, and to stop or deny the teaching of uh, a civic education it only will come back to bite us because that's why the orthodox voter doesn't vote. And when the orthodox voter doesn't vote, it's no wonder they get disenfranchised when the politicians sit down at the table. Well, as you know, as this, class, as this show would tell you, we always go back to politics. It always goes back to voting. And that's very appropriate for a close. I want to thank Richard Altaby for joining us here on Spin Class this Thursday morning and want to... Thank everybody for listening. This is Spin Class on the Nachum Siegel Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks. See you next Thursday.